What if you could complete your MBA in just one year? Thanks to the College of Charleston School of Business, now you can. Their accelerated MBA program condenses a traditional two-year program into one rigorous year, ensuring you not only save a year of tuition and fees, but also re-enter the workforce quickly and graduate with critical business knowledge. U.S. News & World Report recognized the College of Charleston MBA as number one in the country for its job placement rate within three months of graduation. Learn more at mba.cfc.edu. Opinions voiced in this program are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. Securities are offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA, SIPC. Good morning, and welcome to Beyond the Business, brought to you by the College of Charleston School of Business. The College of Charleston School of Business, where students are beyond ready to work, they're ready to make an impact. Each Saturday morning at 9, successful business leaders and entrepreneurs from across the Lowcountry talk about what it takes to succeed in business and in life. Now your hosts of Beyond the Business, Eric Cox and Leslie Haywood. And great Saturday morning, Low Country. Welcome to another edition of Beyond the Business, presented by the College of Charleston School of Business, and certainly presented here on 94.3, simulcast on iHeartRadio, Spotify, and iTunes. I'm one of your hosts this morning, Eric Cox, here with the lovely and talented Leslie Haywood. Good morning, Leslie. Good morning. Happy Saturday, Eric, and happy Saturday, Low Country. And thank you so much for sharing your Saturday mornings with us. And make sure and continue the fun beyond Saturday mornings and check out our Facebook page at Beyond the Business or talk to us on Twitter at BTBCHS. Happy Saturday. Happy Saturday, Leslie, and welcome to December. Hard to believe. Uh, We're on the roll. Hopefully you had a great Thanksgiving and all our listeners did too. Yes, it was a it was a great Thanksgiving. Oh my god, Thanksgiving is one of my favorites. You know how I love to eat. Oh, it's my favorite well, holiday. <laughs> well, hopefully you have uh, recovered from that and you're ready to dive in today. We got a lot on the agenda. We're excited. Uh, before we talk about today's guest, let's reach back to uh, the last couple of weeks. We had Marty Strong on, and Marty is the CEO and Chief Strategy Officer for LGS Management Group out of Virginia Beach, Virginia. And as we continue to do, you know, we have guests from all over the country. We've had guests from all over the world. Uh, Marty did a great job. What was the takeaway for you, Leslie, on his uh, segment? I loved his advice on how we should all start our day. And uh, he was correct in saying, at least for me, that we all usually wake up uh, instantly with a mental to-do list before our feet ever touch the floor. And he says to clear your head, having all of those lists in your head stifles your ability to allow your brain to create big picture ideas and goals because you're limiting yourself to just checking to checking off those boxes. And I am absolutely um, the first one to admit that I, you know, I basically wake up with a plan in my head and I thought I was doing a good thing being so organized and checking off those boxes. But he says, give yourself about 15 minutes to a allow your brain to just freely think about what needs to be accomplished. And that was a real game changer for me. How about you, Eric? You know, I really resonated with his story about leaving the financial services industry, which obviously I'm in, um, on on basically uh, the day of 9-11, right? I mean, 9-11 just really rocked his world and how that changed his trajectory. And like always, you know, having these stories of the twists and turns of life, 
uh, certainly the twists and turns of entrepreneurship. What a great show again. Marty Strong, thank you for uh, being a part of our show and, and uh, delivering for our listeners. And again, if you happen to miss it, don't worry, don't fret. Simply go to Spotify, iTunes, go to our website at CoastalWM.com, type in Beyond the Business, and you can check out Marty's show and all of our shows for the past eight years. Um, and as we do week in and week out, it's time to turn the page. I'm really excited to turn this page. I've been looking forward to this guest for a while now. If, if you are a fan of true leadership, if you are a fan of, of journeys of, of overcoming obstacles. How did you score this interview, Eric? Uh, I, I'm, I'll tell you after we get done. How's that? Sound? <laughs> and, 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 and if you're a fan, and I know we've got guests from all around the world listening, they may not even know yet about the College of Charleston, then you're going to be a fan of today's show. We have the president. Uh, Andrew Shu on the line with us today doing this show. We're so excited. President Shu, welcome to Beyond the Business. Thank you, Eric, and good to see you both, uh, Eric and Leslie. We are really excited to have you uh, as uh, I've had plenty of time since your tenure there to get to know you and watch your leadership. We're so excited to hear a lot about your journey and, and certainly what you're doing at the college. Uh, but uh, before we dive into all the great things going on on campus today, what we want to do is kind of dial it back and Leslie's going to take you down uh, the, the memory road path a little bit, if you don't mind. And I love, so the show, as everyone knows that by now, if you've been listening, the tagline is people you know, stories you don't. And if you are anywhere in South Carolina, of course, you know this guest, but um, I'm so looking forward to the stories you don't. Um, so president, give us a little flavor about what your life was like, where you were born, those really, really early years. Sure. Uh, so uh, I, I guess my... Uh path to leadership is is very by the way I, i'm not a business leader so i'm i'm probably already very different from your other guests and uh, on top of that uh this is the first time i've ever been on the radio show so uh, i guess there's a first time for everything for everyone um but uh you know my uh life uh really started uh, uh, back in China, um, you know, many, many years ago. I, I don't want to say how many, but uh, uh, I, I was born in Beijing uh, in the family of uh, two engineers. And um, but growing up during the Cultural Revolution, it, it was a hard time. Um, you know, while it's true that, uh, you know, the, the probably the biggest cliche uh, was uh, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And, and actually, uh, that was uh, uh, coined by Nietzsche and his original word was uh, uh, does not kill me uh, makes me stronger. And, and that is certainly very true for me. But um, um, that sure as hell can make you feel really bad <laughs> when, when you're going through it. Uh, you know, to me, um, when I was growing up uh, at, at the age of 10, uh, the Cultural Revolution started. And so it was uh, not fun to, to see uh, your own uh, home being raided by the Red Guards and, and your parents publicly. Um, denounced uh, in, in front of you. And, and then uh, what's even worse is to have uh, the parents 
uh, taken away uh, and and uh, not knowing where their um, uh, what uh, their whereabouts. So, um, but I, I think my childhood experience um, really did make me stronger and more resilient. Uh, in fact, um, I have not seen anything worse than what I experienced. Uh, as a child throughout my life. So so it's been a really happy life, I guess, after uh, that childhood experience. I came to the US as a student uh, in 1980 and uh, uh, has enjoyed a, a free and happy life here uh, for 40 some years, 41 years now. So when you reflect back and, and think about yourself as a youngster, Give our audience uh, kind of an idea as a as a kid, personality wise, President Shu. What were you like going through? Obviously, going through a lot. But what was your personality like? Were you studious? Were you were you really thinking about your future? What was going on in your brain at that age? Well, I, I guess at, at in those days, it's hard to think about your future because there was none. And uh, as a child, uh, you know, like I said, growing up in a family that is uh, where the parents are persecuted, uh, where uh, every other uh, kid uh, has a good reason to bully you whenever they want to, that's just, uh, you're really just dealing with the daily stress that a a child uh, is experiencing under that uh, situation. So... I was uh, very much introverted uh, because of that, and and I did not have a lot of friends to play with. Um, I re- uh, retreated into books. I guess uh, you, you could say that I'm studious, but because only because there was really very little else that that I could do that would. Um, uh, would make me happy, and and so I I guess I retreat into the fictional world. Now, what what made your parents be persecuted as opposed to the other kids? Like you said, you were bullied, and it sounds like you were singled out, and your parents were singled out. And you'll have to excuse my ignorance of the time, but what was the difference? Yeah, so at at, at the time in China, you, you're divided into you know the good families and the bad families. Then the good families are those uh, who uh, joined the revolution or who were poor uh, before the communists take over, and and our family uh, was none of that. And uh, um, they were intellectuals. They were educated under the old system, so they were. Um, you know, on on the the other side uh, of the uh, of the revolution, I guess. So you mentioned in 1980 you came to the states to uh, as a student. Talk a little bit about the evolution of how you made it over here to the U.S. and uh, what brought that about. So sure, uh, you know my uh, my parents both came from large families, and and my. F- uh, both of them have nice siblings in their respective families. And my father's uh, family, the, his siblings, uh, majority of them, uh, left the country before the communists uh, took over. And uh, several of them landed in the U.S. and became essentially refugees at the time and, and were allowed to stay here. Uh, and... Uh, uh, 
my uh, father had not um, been able to talk to them or, or even exchange uh, letters, mail at the time for about 30 years. And, and so it was not until the, uh, you know, from 1949 to about um, 1978-ish. So the, the first time that they, uh, my father talked to an, an aunt of my, his sister, uh, who lived in Atlanta at the time, uh, they uh, sort of were just exchanging information about, uh, you know, how many kids do you have and what are they doing and, and so forth, because there was no, um, they, they basically lost in touch with each other. In fact, when my grandfather passed away, uh, they were not able to, um, they, they heard after months later and they were not able to go back. Um, so it was just a lot of exchange of information and how they're doing. And, and then during that first conversation, it was a phone conversation. Uh, my aunt asked, uh, you know, what are your children doing? And he learned that, um, the, my father had one son who's uh, now a college student. And she asked, uh, does, does he want to come to the U S to study? I heard that, the, uh, that, uh, the country is opening up to allow, uh, some students out. So, uh, my father said, uh, sure. Um, but, uh, you know, with my uh, salary, I, I can't even afford a plane ticket for him to travel, much less uh, pay his uh, tuition and room and board. And and my aunt said, you know, let me help figure that out. So she then called my uncle who lived in New York at the time. And uh, the two of them decided that my uncle in New York was going to pay uh, my tuition and my aunt in Atlanta was going to provide my um, ruin board for me. And uh, that's how I ended up at Georgia Tech and, and uh, got my uh, master's and PhD degree from Georgia Tech. Uh, wow. Obviously, after a year or two, I, I got my uh, research assistantship and scholarship and so forth. So they didn't have to pay for <laughs> all five years that I was in school. So what what degree were you um, getting when you were over in China? And then did, did that translate over here? Did, it was at the same degree. So what did you ultimately have your, get your degree in? Yeah, so uh, when I was in China, I was studying uh, hydraulic engineering, which is essentially a, a, a narrow branch of uh, civil engineering. Uh, but when I came, uh, one of my cousins who was uh, the same age, in fact, born the same year as me, of course, born here in the U.S. and, and grew up here, uh, he, he was doing his MD, PhD, and he was doing his PhD portion at uh, the aerospace engineering department at George Tech. And so he said, well, uh, since you're interested in aerodynamics and computational um, fluid dynamics, uh, the aerospace engineering school is the best place for that. Uh, so I said, okay, uh, that's how I, end I ended up in the aerospace engineering uh, program. And, and I uh, eventually got my master's degree and uh, PhD 
in aerospace engineering, which was um, uh, just, uh, I guess, uh, accidental. And by the way, in case you just joined us, wonder whose voice that is. It's President Shu from the College of Charleston, our 23rd president over at CFC, and talking about his upbringing uh, from China coming into the United States. And so, President Shu, um, when you came over, and obviously you excelled highly in the educational element, did you have an idea of what you were thinking about in terms of post-graduation for a career at that time? No, I, I had absolutely no idea at, at the time. Uh, you know, as a student, I was very much interested in research, and um, so uh, I, I guess after I graduated, um, you know, I, I uh, of course didn't. Given my childhood experience, I didn't want to go back, and and so I wanted to stay here and and uh, find a career in research. So, uh, just so happened uh, again, um, it, it's all coincidental, I guess. Um, I um, got an opportunity. A, a former uh, schoolmate of mine at Georgia Tech was working at NASA. Uh, in Cleveland, uh, at the time it was known as the NASA Lewis Research Center. Now the name is, I think, uh, NASA Glenn Research Center. Um, he was working there, and he said, uh, "You know, we're uh, hiring a, a, a contractor through a contracting company to do research here. Are you interested?" So I interviewed and and uh, I was there doing research for NASA through this contract um, company uh, for for about uh, seven or eight years um, at, in Cleveland. Now at the time, what did you were you looking to do something else? Was that a gateway to something or did you think you were gonna stay with NASA? I mean that's a, an amazing program. So Yeah, yeah. So I, I was really enjoying and I was a good researcher. I was publishing in, in um, international journals and, and so forth. And and so I thought I was just gonna do that uh, my whole life. Um, but then I, I met a beautiful girl who now <laughs> is my wife and uh, who was doing her PhD in chemistry at the time at Case Western Reserve University in Cleveland. And we, we were married uh, about six months after we met. So, um, but, but when she got her degree, um, she found a job uh, at uh, GM, but uh, in Indianapolis. So, uh, you know, I, I certainly couldn't let her leave without me. So <laughs> I followed her uh, and uh, um, ended up uh, working for Rolls-Royce um, North America in Indianapolis. Um, and uh, then when I was working for um, industry, of course, I found that, uh, you know, my heart really is not is still in research and not in industry, and uh, that's when I uh, found that uh, academic um, life is actually a, a better fit for me. I taught uh, for uh, the Purdue School of Engineering in Indianapolis uh, as an adjunct uh, for a couple of years, and then I said, you know, this is a much better a place for me. Uh, teaching than um, being a research, uh, sorry, being a, a engineer in industry. So 
I made the switch and moved to uh, the University of Miami in Florida. Um, but then, of course, my beautiful wife decided that she can't uh, find a job in Florida and, and uh, stayed in Indianapolis. So in order to keep the family together, I went back to uh, Indianapolis after two years and, and uh, continued as a full-time uh, professor for a university called IUPUI or Indiana University, Purdue University, Indianapolis. Of course, I taught in the Purdue School of Engineering. Well, you know, it's incredible. And I really appreciate you kind of unfolding this story for us because here you both are, right? Uh, highly educated, pursuing professional careers. And you talk about and you integrate uh, the, the personal life and how you have to adapt and accommodate each other in those as well. And so for, I think, our listeners to hear that, for students that, to hear that that's real life, um, what an amazing uh, testament. So thanks for sharing that. Um, a question kind of goes into the fact that you make this switch, obviously, from your research world into the academic world. Uh, what was it or when was it that that light bulb went off and you really said, look, the, the, the academic side is where I'm going to spend the rest of my career? Well, actually, um, it, it was uh, when I started teaching as an adjunct and uh, some of the students uh, that I was able to influence actually picked uh, the subdiscipline, which is called the computational fluid dynamics as uh, sort of their lifelong career. Uh, is when the light bulb went on. I said, you know, I, I never knew I could have this kind of uh, influence on people's lives. And, and this is really fulfilling for me as a career. And, and that's when I decided to make the switch. Now, in the academic world, did you ever, once you already made that switch, did you ever envision yourself in such a leadership role in academia? No, I, I guess uh, that, again, is a lot of uh, serendipity. I uh, I was a good teacher. I was getting uh, awards for being one of the best uh, professors. And, and I was a very good researcher, and I was getting a lot of research uh, awards and and uh, in, in fact i ran a pretty large research lab and and was funded really well doing funded research and so forth so i thought uh, you know that would be really my career uh but uh you know, I, I'm a sort of a whiner uh, because uh, I, I like to complain when things don't go well. Um, and and because I was a, a sort of a big deal in, in terms of uh, research uh, in in our small school, and and I often tell my dean what's going wrong in his office and and. <laughs> what he needs to do differently uh, to support my research and so forth. Uh, so when I finally got my tenure and then became a full professor, uh, he said, well, uh, since you, uh, uh, Andrew, since you know so much about uh, what I should be doing, why don't you join me and, and help me do that? So uh, he made me his associate dean in charge of uh, research and uh, graduate education, which was um, really, uh, like I said, I was not planned. Um, but once I um, started uh, doing that, I was able to help the school develop its research and develop its graduate uh, programs. And, and I saw 
how as a leader I could impact even more um, people's lives and and that uh, really sort of uh, you know switched on another light bulb and and uh, made me think well maybe I could do this um, as, as a career. And we know that you ended up going on to the University of Toledo, provost and executive vice president for academic affairs there. Obviously, we're able to hone in and grow on your leadership skills. Uh, but then along the way comes this opportunity to apply and uh, look at running for the official presidency at the College of Charleston. And so we only have a few minutes left, believe it or not, in today's segment. But I know all of our listeners are wondering, what was that first moment like when you um, – not, not that you knew you had the opportunity yet, but that you were going to go for that opportunity to become a president of the institution. Yeah, so I, I guess well, once you become a provost and, and executive vice president, you get a lot of uh, calls from people to ask you if you're interested in a presidency somewhere. And uh, at the time, I, I wasn't really looking because I was only the, the provost for two and a half years. And, and I got this call. And uh, telling me that there is uh, an opportunity at the College of Charleston, and I said, um, "Let me look it up." So I looked it up, and and it says it's a, a leading liberal arts and sciences institution, and so forth. And and I said, "You know, I, I think you have the wrong candidate because I'm an engineer, and this school is a liberal arts school, and it doesn't even have engineering. Um, I, I don't think I'm gonna." Um, I don't think I'm the right candidate. Um, but the, the search consultant was, was very convincing. He said, I looked at your background, and I think you're the right um, choice. And, and so I said, well, here's my CV. I'm not going to apply, but you go back and, and show that CV to the search committee. If they still think I'm the uh, right fit, uh, they're willing to consider, then I'll put my uh, hat in. So, uh, you know, the rest is history. Initially, I wasn't at all going to apply, but then uh, it, it was uh, to me, my wife always say uh, that it's not you. It, it's a miracle. It's God doing. And uh, um, well, we're really thankful that God did. And we're also thankful for the uh, the the uh, the gentleman in the middle of all that making that happen and open both eyes to it. And so unfortunately, President Shu, we're out of time for today, but we really appreciate that. And we're looking forward to having you back next Saturday morning. Uh, thanks for your story today. Oh, thank you for having me. Uh, this is fun. And again, <laughs> you've been listening to, to it again. Oh, sorry. And again, you've been listening to Beyond the Business, heard here on 94.3, presented by the College of Charleston School of Business and Coastal Wealth Management. And we look forward to having you back next Saturday morning, Low Country, for the rest of the story with President Andrew Shu. Until then, Low Country. Have a blessed week. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Business, brought to you by the College of Charleston School of Business. The College of Charleston School of Business, where students are beyond ready to work, they're ready to make an impact. Tune in next Saturday morning at 9 for Beyond the Business, hosted by Eric Cox and Leslie Haywood, and heard exclusively on News Radio 943 WSC. The College of Charleston School of Business is recognized among the top 30 colleges for studying business abroad by the Business Research Guide. With nine undergraduate majors, 10 minors, and six concentration areas, an honors program in business, and master's programs in business and accountancy, the College of Charleston School of Business has more than 3,000 students enrolled. 
their students are ready to work and they're ready to make an impact. For more info, visit sb.cfc.edu.